Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative Podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. The moment has arrived. What's up, everybody? We are at the final episode of our Why We Love Genres series, and I've got some amazing people in the house, like the one and only Joseph Wilson. How you doing, King everybody? of All Saints. You already know. And we've got the uh, contrarian that I will not go up against today. <laughs> That'll be somebody else's job. Uh, I'm not the contrarian because I'm usually on the right side of things. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we've got the one and only Jason Lynn. How's it going, guys? And last but not least, joining us here is my wife, Tori. What's up, everybody? And so a couple, Tori's been on a couple slice of life episodes, like you were on the romance one and you were on the historical narratives one. Of course, Jason, Nick and Joe have been on all the others, but now for this last one, we're going to combine it all together because we're going to talk about slice of life, AKA the comedy and drama of it all. So you guys ready for this? Let's get it started. Let's let's do it. Jason has an iPhone, everybody. Oh yeah. We were able to switch them over. He's, I, he's I, texting I, on it right we're now. We're gonna put a I fell asleep <laughs> crowd cheering sound effect. Uh, here that. I yeah. fell asleep next to a pod and I woke up and I had this in my hand. <laughs> Faith, love, beauty, that stuff doesn't matter. The body but iPhone does. Yeah, the body snatchers got now. to you. This is, guys, don't. It, it's a, it was a mistake. Get the Pixel 8. It's way better. <laughs> don't edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Slice of life genre grounds us in a sense of reality, towing the lines between comedy and drama. Whereas other genres take us to places outside the known and familiar, slice of life stories help us engage deeper with the mundane settings and situations we find ourselves in. We root for the protagonist to make day-to-day decisions, no matter how big or small, because it is in those decisions that we get a sense of who they are. Slice of Life can either depict the daily life of an individual or encompass an ensemble cast with interlinked narratives that converge around common themes. Since characters mirror the complexities of human life, antagonists in Slice of Life stories tend to be abstract forces, such as time or death. But the antagonist may very well just be someone with different goals than the protagonist. These stories come down to a choice that must be made, one that will set the protagonist on a path that extends beyond the time we spend with them. Though the struggles of humanity are universal, slice of life stories remind us that the way we deal with those struggles is indicative of the person we can become. So yeah, any thoughts on that before we start diving into some particular stories that we each picked? What really rang true for me is the antagonist being a construct, cons- wow. A con, dang it. Yeah, words are hard. Yeah, no. (laughs) An abstract uh, concept. Mm. Wow, that's funny. I was trying to say the word concrete, which is the opposite of abstract. I think that shows where my mind goes. But, you know, with Lewin Lewin Davis and... Oh, right off the bat. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah, right off. That, That, like, 
Oh. His, his, <laughs> life, his own life is his antagonist. No, false. <laughs> I, the, so, what, what, what struck out to, what stuck out to me was the same thing the the antagonist being a concrete what does it say an abstract, abstract. force an abstract, or an idea an abstract force or idea and that stuck out um specifically with inside Lewin yeah. davis and then also you said something about um what the characters could become yes so <laughs> those, those are the things that stuck out to me that last part and then the the abstract concept or idea as the antagonist yeah. in Slice of Life. Oh, for sure. And that's how it is in, in King of the Hill, too. That was, um, you know, secondhand lines. It's it's not any one thing. Like, there's some antagonists, but, you know, Hank relating to his son and just the tension from a lot of family trauma is yeah. the main antagonist. Yeah, Slice of Life is something that when we talk about genres, we don't normally at least like in casual conversation, think, oh, like what's the latest slice of life film we've seen, right? Mm -hmm. We don't normally think like that. And that's because we're trained more to think in terms of comedy and drama, right? Uh, Movies that are pure comedies or pure dramas. But what I love about the screenwriter's taxonomy is it explores this idea that comedy and drama is in everything. It doesn't matter. It transcends genre in and of itself. Comedy is just simply the desire to bring joy and laughter uh, through life and stories and drama is acknowledging the tension and hardships of life. And so slice of life is when we're focusing on stories that are very grounded in real life stories that like could potentially happen in our own lives. Right. But they're also stories that they may at times incorporate pieces of other genres, but really they are something in and of themselves here, right? So like we're going to give some specific examples that we're going to talk about today, but just a few, you know, slice of life's that kind of come to mind because these are sometimes slice of life stories don't have like a specific plot driven narrative. They're just more driven by characters, right? It's just characters going from here to there and just you're kind of spending life with them right so you've got something like the color purple or cinema paradiso where you're just simply following characters through life um and then you've got other stories where there might be a story like at the heart of it but it's a very it's just a story about a particular moment in someone's life or or maybe an overview of their life so of course you've got like citizen kane almost famous Tree of Life, right? Which mm-hmm. is just snapshots of mm-hmm. a family's life here. And you've got Slice of Life stories as well that are, I mean, anime loves Slice of Life. Like that's definitely one of the most popular mediums for doing a Slice of Life story, whether it's Silent Voice, Wolf Children, you know, a lot of Ghibli films are Slice of Life. And then you've got the ensemble slice of life where you're not focusing on one protagonist, but you're focusing on a, a group, uh, like a family. So you think of like Royal Tenenbaums, right? A lot or of West Anderson. Right. Tenant would be that. I think we need to watch that movie, no Joe. We could watch that today. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah. So, so we're going to get into some specific picks here of Slice of Life. And we're going to change it up a little bit because not only are we going to do some films, but we're going to actually throw in some TV because television shows are prime for Slice of Life. In fact, many of the greatest TV shows of all time are Slice of Life. You know, whether it's, you know, the hilarities of sticking a bunch of people in an office mm. and just seeing what they do, right? 
um, or whether it's just following a group of friends like Friends or Seinfeld, you know, like a lot of these shows are slice of life. Um, but we're going to let our guest go first, a.k.a. Tori. And we're going to start with you and your pick for slice of life. Ladies first, Tori. I was hoping so to go pick? last so then I could see how this was going to work. No, nope, we're just going that out. way. You were on the episode with the most views. We're, we're learning from you. You're, yeah, you had you're the 14,000 views. You're the superstar. Episode. The Ghibli, uh, the Ghibli episode. So kind. Okay. <laughs> I picked one of my favorites, which is Secondhand Lions. Well, that was your pick. Yes. Oh, Surprise. That. That, was a good, that was a good movie. Now, it's a great now movie. Now, you had, you had several movies that you were thinking about. Doing. Remind me what I was you, thinking about. You love about. Slice of Life. Right? I love, love Slice of love Life. love this genre. But there were several that you were thinking about. But I'd like to know, what was it about Secondhand Lines that made you want to do that one? I think we made a list and we realized all the other ones were more other genres. Mm. This was one of the few that was just pure Slice of Life. There wasn't anything else kind of attached to it. Yeah. Um, but this has always been one of my favorite movies since I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to think of when it came out. Was it it's like got to be early 2000s. Early 2000s, I would think. I would think, but I'm not sure on that one. Um, but yeah, no, this is just one of my favorite movies because it's just a genuinely, like, good movie. Like, yeah. I think it's it's just a genuinely good story. Like, you get, it's very easy to get into the story and be, like, kind of captivated by it. It's both funny and dramatic. There's, yeah. like, really it serious stuff in it. Definitely walks the line. Yeah, like there's really serious stuff in it. I mean, there's like there's like abuse within like relationships between the mom and her boyfriends. There's a child who's pretty much neglected. There's mm-hmm. family drama. It's like literally it's all in there, but at the same time, there's a lion in a cornfield and like these two older guys who are like, "Let's go shoot a lion." Like it's just genuinely funny. Yeah. And and Michael <laughs> yeah. Michael Caine and Robert Duvall are just genuinely hilarious in it. They're and a great pairing. It's oh, yeah. such a good pairing. And the kid is just, he's like so relatable as well as just like, it's one of those movies where it's like, you don't necessarily want to be the character, but you can relate to the character in some right, way, right. shape or form. Um, and then just the message that it's really trying to say is it, it's good. It's like goodness wins, and you want that. You want those types of stories to shape your life. If you guys don't know, because Secondhand Lines might be a sleeper hit. Uh, I know a lot of people that have never even heard of it. But Secondhand Lines is basically uh, there's a boy, and his mom just – you could tell his mom just doesn't want him anymore. <laughs> and she just drops him at, like, the closest relative she could find, which is these two uncles that he's never met before. And they don't want him. But she just kind of leaves him there. It's like, she, deal with it. She wants their money, too. Yeah, so well, that's, she, she that's what you learn. Their money. That's what you learn is that she's planting him there just to look for their inheritance. Mm. Oh, it's you so messed it. up. It's good. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, you yeah. should still see it. But it's really a movie about companionship, right? You find that Robert Duvall's character um, had a companion that was really close to him that he lost. And that's kind of affected kind of given him this like jadedness, this weariness of life um, that he was supposed to have a child. He was supposed to be, that was all his dream and it was all taken from him. It was all gone. And it wasn't anything. It was, it was that abstract force of life. It was just, that's what it happens. Just, it just happens, sometimes. right? People die. And, what, and what so, would you say the antagonist is in secondhand lines? Just death. Oh, that's time? a good question. What do you Age. think, Tori? 
I think aging is definitely a part of it, but I think it's a lack of love. I think the fear Mm. of not having love or genuinely not having love because you look at the mom, she can't find love. Uh That's why she's bouncing from boyfriend to boyfriend. She doesn't have love with her son. Well, that. She might say she does, but like there's, yeah. they're no not, they're not, there's no real connection there. Yeah. The uncles don't want to deal with anybody else in the world because but they are so jaded. Except each other. They have, they're good with each other, but yeah. the rest of the world they're against. And he and the one uncle, his wife and child had died. So he's a lack of love there. And it's all about them rekindling love between yeah. each other, between yeah. family, and then also between the world. Cause then you see toward the end, them opening up and reaccepting love and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Wow. That's good. And it's got a lion in it. It's, it's got, got a lion in it. Technically <laughs> three lions. Yeah. Because well, yeah. that lion represents them. Exactly. So yeah, like, I was look about at this sick say. old worn out lion that just wants to stay in a crate. And yep. it's literally them. Yeah, that's them. Yeah. And, and at the end of the movie, the lion stays in the cornfield and is free and then it dies well, but the, the, lion, the lion protects them, right? right? Protects. He lays down his life for them. And that's kind of what their journey is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. They are going to also give up their comfort. They're going to give up all these things in order to raise this kid. Mm-hmm. So the lion is almost like a foreshadow of that. But my favorite part of the movie is when they go to the bar in the middle. Oh, yeah. Yes, there's after, a bar fight, Joe. He, so, there's yeah. a bar. After he leaves the hospital from having like a heart attack, they he go to a, a bar. Attack. They go to a bar and he starts Afterwards, drinking. they're like, this just shows you the type of, you know, old men that they are. Yeah. Like, he's like, I'm leaving this hospital. And he's like, let's go to the bar. And then he's drinking and having ribs at the bar with his root beer or whatever like yeah, that. Because, you know, it's PG, it. so I don't think they're drinking <laughs> beer. But, um... Then these kids, these like teenagers, like they're because it takes place what in the sixties or fifties. No, I felt like I think this is the fifties. Fifties. So they're like, like the greaser 50s. kids with like leather jackets. They think they're all swag, and so they come into the bar and they start picking on the old guy, and it ends up into like a full blown fight, like to where the one old guy takes out what like five teenagers. But the best part is like he's literally just lecturing them as he's like yeah he's like that's not how you fight he's and like, he's that's like not how you hold a knife let me <laughs> show you how to do it knife. now try again <laughs> it's yeah. hilarious I love he it. gives the greatest speech I've ever one of the greatest speech I've ever heard in a movie too I can't I can't it's I can't aggressive. remember but huh that was aggressive <laughs> <laughs> his Next. speech was aggressive it was great I I can't remember it but it was. Are you sure it's one of the greatest then if you can't remember? <laughs> is it the what every man, what every boy needs to know about being a man speech? No, this he gives it in the bar right before he fights them all. Oh, okay. He said, while you guys were sucking on your mama's teeth, I fought in three wars. Oh, yeah, that All part. these conflicts, and I've only loved one, one woman. woman. And he says all this other yeah. stuff, and I'm like, this is great. And then he beats them up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Uh, that, that is my whole favorite section. He takes the knife from them, and the other uh, uncle's like, you better give them that knife back. They're going to need it. <laughs> and he comes back with all of them. They've got, like, bruises and stuff, and the, the uncle has, like, stab wounds in his chest. Like, but he doesn't care. Like like <laughs> like they like barely got him or something yeah. like that. And they're all like right here. I'm like, geez. I, I, I really think that Robert Duvall and Michael Caine carry this film. Oh, they for really sure. do. Like their chemistry, their performance. 
And uh, it's funny, Nick. I actually had the honor of serving Robert Duvall at the Breakers. No really? way. Yeah. That's awesome. He came in, I think, two or three times while I was working there. And he was really old looking. Mm. For I didn't, I, I was like, he looks familiar. And then somebody was like, that's freaking Robert Duvall. I was like, Robert Duvall from like secondhand lines. <laughs> or, or, or Robert and, Duvall from The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> Because he looks more like that, yeah. In, yeah. right? When I saw him, than he did as in The Godfather. But Robert Duvall is obviously in a lot of great films, so um, I hope Nick, you liked that one. Nick, what did you think of it? I I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked the storytelling of the. The two old men telling stories to Haley Joel Osment, mm-hmm. and they're so fantastic and um, like mythical, and you don't know what to believe. You don't know if it's true or not. I love stories like it kind of reminds me yeah. of Big Fish. Yeah, when the the dad just tells the stories all the time, and you're not sure like yeah. what is true and what's not true. And even if it's not true, it's still a lot. It's of still fun. awesome. Um, well, and that's kind of the line at the end that mm-hmm. the boy learns. He's like, whether or not what they said about their past is true. I still love them and I'm going to be with them because they are living a better story than you are, which when he's talking to his mom, essentially like, like it doesn't really matter at this point, like what happened in the past, like this is the future I want to go for. Well, yeah. And that's why like the stories meant something to him because it gives him something to believe in because Mm -hmm. he, he gives that speech where he's like, all I've ever heard in my life are lies. Cause his mom, like you find out lied to him about all these things. Is this the movie that said something like, it doesn't have to be true for you to believe it. Yeah. Yes. That's what it, yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. It it gave him something to stand on. Like, yeah. Then that, and that's why like when he gets abused towards the end of the movie with the potential new stepdad and he comes in and he starts hitting, he's, he literally beats him up like in a barn like starts beating the kid up and then the kid learns to fight back. Defend yourself. Yes, mm-hmm. defend yourself. He steps on his foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then the yeah. lion comes. And then the lion comes. Kills yeah. him. Well, not kills him, but mauls him. Mauls the bad guy and sends him to the hospital. So, woo. Good job, yeah. lion. Actually, it's a it's a good one. I actually have the speech um here. Oh yeah, go ahead. If, if you should read part of it. Be beneficial. Um Sometimes the things that may or may not be true are the things you need to believe in the most. That people are basically good. That honor, courage, and virtue mean everything. That money and power mean nothing. That good always triumphs over evil. Now more than ever, this is the message we need to hear. And like Nick said, it opens with, sometimes the things that may or may not be true are the things a person needs to believe in the most. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, that's really cool. And then he gets confronted with that later. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You work with kids, you know, like doing these adventures, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, literally, with, yeah. With trail life and whatnot. What did this movie speak to anything in you to you about what you do? No, I didn't think of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but now it's going to. <laughs> well, because it's like you're teaching these young men what it means to be a man, right? Yes. And this is a this is why I see the parallel here because this is a boy here who has no male figure mm-hmm. that can teach him how to be a man and he there's something in him that's crying out for a father. That's crying out for someone to lead to give him that direction. And that's, but the way that they do it is through adventure, right? Mm -hmm. Is through kind of bringing this boy along in all these 
there's there's like he's he's hungry for the adventure and i'm just curious if the mm-hmm. boys you work with if you ever notice that hunger coming out for adventure yeah they do they'll they'll tell you that they don't and they just want basketball and football but that's yeah. safe yeah that's yeah. that's what they know that's where they know they're good at it uh-huh and the ones that know they're not good at it they don't want to play but when it's something completely new um a lot of times at least the older ones they don't want to do it but with the younger ones, they yeah. anything. I asked them what their favorite things were that they did, and they just listed everything that we ever did. Yeah, <laughs> and wow. So, and what unites the the boy and the uncles together in the movie is those things. But at first, it, it starts with fun. Yeah, yeah. The salesman comes and he waves the white flag. I He's like, "Wait, it. wait!" And they're they're saying, "Oh, I like your challenge. This guy's good. He's yeah. been here before." And he convinces them to to hear him out. And it ends up being a clay pigeon launcher, which yeah. sales professors out there need to have that video in their teaching because that's awesome. <laughs> but he he literally starts bonding with them by launching clay pigeons for them and they're just plugging them out of the sky. And that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. fun is really what gets a child's attention. But it also kind of it brings old men out of their Sitting in the house all day. Because there's a duality. They're inviting him to the adventure that is their lives currently. But then they're also by, you know, when Michael Caine's character is telling the stories, they're inviting them into the narrative that is their life as a whole, Mm -hmm. including the fact that you realize, oh, snaps, he never got to have a son. That's like what he wanted. And then you start to realize that that's really the bigger story that he's getting invited into. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, too, that. You know, they, their bodies got old, but their spirits didn't. That's what yeah. he's saying about Robert Duvall's character, and that was the truth for them. And really, yeah, no, I've, I've seen that where yeah. people have gotten old and the things they're not able to do anymore are gone, yeah. but their spirits still yearn it. But then they start to get older or they get sick because that part's denied. Yeah, And really, the way they feel about themselves, it comes to regret or mm-hmm. just wistfulness. Well, and at the end, he becomes a storyteller, right? I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, comic artist. He starts, yeah, he's a comic book artist, and he starts like oh, telling. He grows up. Yeah, and he starts telling these stories. That is cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I like the yacht in that small little. I shook my head. I, I feel like another antagonist could be like boredom or something. Yeah. Just like just like the mundane of life is an antagonist because they're yeah. always fighting against that. They'll get a lion, they'll fly the plane upside down, that giant yacht. Um, I think that's what I took out the most was to just how fun like these two old guys were trying to have. Yeah. Like yeah. to use like just to use the time as wisely as you can, but also like like you you have all this opportunity to do something yeah out of the ordinary mm-hmm. um, and with each other it's because Ailey Josman shows up and he's like, "You don't have a TV. Can I call on the phone and like none of that's there. He's from the city and it's mm-hmm. stripped away and it's like, well, what do we do with each other? Yeah, we'll buy a yacht <laughs> Put it on a lake. <laughs> The yacht is the, it's a puddle. <laughs> Anything else, Tori, before we go to our next one? No, I think I think we did a cool. Now on the cover of this movie, it says one of the happiest movies of the year. The Let's go there. now if we have I'm sorry guys. I'm sorry, everybody. Here, we, it would but say one sorry. of the saddest <laughs> movies of the year. And we're gonna go with Nick's pick next. Inside Lewin Davis. 
Because this is a great companion to Secondhand Lions. Oh, it's just another slice of life, guys. It is. It's part of life. So, it's Nick. something you can't get out of. It's something that you have to go through as well when you're alive. I, I actually thought, like, if, if aliens came to Earth... Sorry. We were trying to describe life to them. Uh-huh. One of these, this movie would be part of the human experience. I think it's that profound. Did you watch it, Joe? Mm-hmm. Oh man, we gotta beat um, Joe up after this. Yeah, you guys, you guys can beat me up. It's all right. <laughs> what, is, what, what did everybody think? First of all, I thought it was good. No. <sighs> <laughs> go, right. go, Tori. All right, Tori. Here we go. No, keep going. All right. Actually, no, we, wanna, can we I'll say wanna... real quick like what Inside Lewin Davis is? If yeah. you haven't seen it, it's basically Oscar Isaac's character is an aspiring folk musician in the early '60s in Greenwich, New York, and it's just just spending some time with him. That's it. You know, figuring out what he wants in life as a musician, as a person, and lots of things that come out of that. Mm-hmm. But is this that's one essentially with Hanson too. No. no. Okay, that's a different one. All, All right. right. So Tori, what did you not like about this movie? Let's go. It's basically a movie about a person who's in a cycle of self-pity and self-destruction. And he doesn't grow. I don't care. I see no growth. I see no... Nothing good is coming out of this man. And every time someone tries to be nice to him, he literally says, that's BS, and, like, does something stupid. Like, and mean to them. It's like every time someone tries to do something nice, like, here, have a couch, and then he cusses them out. Here, you want my jacket because you don't have a jacket and it's cold? This is BS. Don't give me the jacket. Yeah, like, I'd rather suffer. Oh, hey, like, literally every single time someone tries to be nice to him, he flips him off and, like, it's like, I prefer to be miserable. And I'm so miserable. It's the most annoying character. And I hated every minute of it. Yeah, so this movie's See, really I- beautiful. See? <laughs> See, I'm it glad, is though. I'm, I'm glad it's not me today. This time, I, I can just kind of sit back and enjoy this. Hey, we'll All teach right. you how to do it, Derek. All right, let me let me see how to get out of this one. <laughs> First of all, um, the movie technically is beautiful. Um, the Coen Brothers are just fantastic. It's oh, they're it's, great directors. Yeah, it's beautifully lit. It's funny. Um, from a technical standpoint, it's still um, really well made and. I'll just get to the point Can you, now. Can you tell me a joke from that movie? Mm. The, the whole s- movie's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me a moment when you laughed out loud? Uh, outer space with Adam Driver. Yes. And the whole... Um, oh, yeah. Adam Driver is the whole most yeah, hilarious part of that movie. Definitely. And I, I, who was it you or you who sent that to me of like, if Oscar Isaac... And if if Poe and Kylo Ren's band had never broken, broken up, up, we would have never, never <laughs> happened. Oh, I love I love Adam. Dr- yeah, he is the funniest part. So of that movie. let me try to frame the story as I see it. All right, go for it. The antagonist, the the what is it? The abstract idea yeah, yeah, yeah. concept in this film mm-hmm. is grief. Grief is what's pressing on. I'm gonna just call him Poe. Uh, uh, <laughs> grief is pressing on Lewin Davis. So the not movie- to be confused with. The movie Llewellyn. Llewellyn. The movie opens, um, and his partner has already died. His partner committed suicide. So you don't know what Lewin was like before this movie started. Right. You don't know what his band was like. You don't really know what his life was like, except for the dysfunctional relationship with the girl, who puts all the blame on him and takes no responsibility of her own. Mm-hmm. And so then the Odyssey. The, that he goes through is an odyssey of grief. And you could say that the character doesn't grow at all. You can say that he goes in circles, but I think grief is a lot like a circle. 
So something happens and he doesn't know how to cope with it. His partner dies. He's also a second hand to his partner. The partner was a star. He loves music. And now he's trying to struggle with how am I supposed to continue performing the art I love in this world? And I'm not, I'm maybe not that good, which by the way, is fantastic. Um, but he's not getting through. Yeah. Um, some of the stages of grief, I was looking it up and some of them, um, like the, the graphs are all circles. Yeah. And so you kind of go through this shock where something mm -hmm. has happened and then you kind of go through this protest stage where you're lashing out Then mm. you're all disorganized and then you come back full circle and you start mm. to become organized again. Well, that's almost reflected uh, in the structure of the film, right? That's exactly yes. the structure of the film. So in the beginning, he gets punched and you have no idea what's happening and then yep. it ends in the same way. Yeah. But it ends differently. So he's getting failure after failure after failure. He's trying to hold on to something. The cat, I think, represents his partner. So in the car with John Goodman... John Goodman's talking about what, what did you perform with the cat? He he starts putting that yeah. on the cat. And I think that's the only thing he can hold on to is this cat. And the cat's his partner. And at the end, he shuts the door and the cat doesn't come out and he starts to move on. It comes down to one line in the movie. Mm. And for me, this is such a universally human experience of a line that I feel like everyone has to hit at one point. I'm tired. I'm so tired. I thought I needed a night's rest, but it's way more than that. And Tori, coming, see, this should be the perfect on, movie for hold you. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. All the time. Hold on. It's coming to a head. He at, at, at stage after stage after stage. He's failing. He's failing. He's cold. He's freezing. He's in the snow. He's unable to cope with grief. He's grieving, and he's lashing out. And then. Um, he finally perform. He, he he disregards the gaslight. He doesn't like it. Um, he he wants you know bigger f dreams of of you know notoriety or performing mm -hmm. on a grand stage because he takes his art so seriously. One of the scenes where where he he looks like an I don't know if I can curse, but he looks like an asshole because he's uh -huh. lashing out when he's performing at dinner. But the woman starts singing Mike's part, right? His, his partner's part, and it, he can't handle it. And then he starts lashing out. This is a man that is grieving very deeply, and he has no idea what to do, and he has no one in his life. At the end, look. Not only is he tired and he doesn't know what to do, he, it, at the end, he, he finally sings at the gaslight and he sings twice. It starts with him singing at the gaslight, just one song, and then the end, he sings a second song. Mm -hmm. And then he says, that's all I've got. <coughs> yeah. He performs at the gaslight. He, he's starting to accept who he is and where he is, that maybe the gaslight's all he can do. Yeah. And he can't perform in front of Bud Grossman. He can't get these top level CD deals. And he's sober at the very end. Yeah. And he's talking to the, the manager and he's like, hey, man, I'm sorry about last night. You know, I was a wreck. He's at his most um, accepting, self-acceptance, I think, in that moment. Um, but to perform and just go, you know, that's all I've got. To not hit a dream and to have to give something up or, or just that cycle of, um, I don't know what it is. But I feel like that is a deeply, deeply human experience that, yeah. that is part of life. Um, that you have like this idea where you can go and attack life and tell these fantastic stories. But also you get rejected and then you're walking in the snow freezing and your feet are wet. I mean, that, that is also life. And so then at the very end, and I think the end is so brilliant. I think it is so good because he's finally starting to come to this place of of improvement yeah and then he gets punched in the face again <laughs> and i think i think it's profound because 
yes, you can start to heal, but things are going to happen still. Mm. You're still going to get hit in the face and you still have to continually heal. And it doesn't end on a note where you pity him because he's able to smile. He's able to take that punch in the face and not like sulk in a gutter. Realize he deserved it. He's like, he's like, (laughs) he's like, all right, you know, this is life and I'm going to keep going. Like you have to keep going. So I think the end is at once hopeful, but I also think the end is like a supreme level of black comedy that the Coen brothers are just so good at. Um, All of that said, I feel like this is a character that the Coen brothers do not hate and they don't want you to hate. I feel like this is a compassionate movie and that something about this movie, you press into compassion. Um, It's interesting because I was just in the hospital. I broke my hand and the, 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 the room next to me, there was a woman cursing out these nurses for three straight days. <laughs> like she was throwing the, her food at them. Like I'm hearing her just curse nonstop. Yeah. And I'm, my hand is broken. I'm like, I'm morphine. I'm like, get me out of here. And the nurse is fighting back because she's getting cursed at. Yeah. She's like, I'm just trying to help you. She's like, da, 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 da. And she's <clears throat> right before I left, another nurse came in at the end and she was separated from the situation and able to break through to that that patient and she started crying the patient started crying the patient was grieving something that she didn't know how to handle and she was taking it out on that nurse um and then she started to break down and cry and at that moment i had compassion on her and i think when we lose compassion on each other we lose everything Mm. we lose compassion on llewellyn we lose everything we don't know who llewellyn was before that we met him at a life where he is grieving and we yeah. see the circular process of grief. Yeah. And then at the end, he still gets punched in the face. And I think that's just funny. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that was really funny. There's um, two laughable moments. That, there you go. That, <laughs> that the movie, the, the music is beautiful. Um, what's his name? Oscar Isaac can really sing. Yes. He can really, really sing. I was sing. so impressed. He's yes. good. And play. Oh. Play and sing. Yeah. Okay, Oscar. Um, so, Poe. And, and if anything else... When you see someone struggle, like there's some kind of value in seeing a similar struggle of yours on screen. Like you can go, man, I'm not alone. Like I'm, I'm fighting something over and over and over again and, and I'm tired and I need to stop and something else needs to happen. Yeah. Um, that value alone is, mm-hmm. it, you know... So that's why I picked the movie. I had something more light and fun, which no, but but yeah, but like 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 I said, you know, the Wonder Years is fun. There's it's profound, but it's like youthfulness. It's it's wonder. You're young. Good Burgers fun. Um, secondhand lions. There's planes and li- and and lions and boats <laughs> and, and swords fighting and and but but there's another side. To there, life. There, there's yeah. got to be. It's it's not to bring it down, but it's also. To drive into more, it's just to drive into compassion. I think you do such a good job, Nick, at seeing what's missing, what's lacking, Mm -hmm. and bringing in that missing piece. Mm -hmm. Right? I think Mm -hmm. if I look back on every episode that we've done in this series, everything you pick is so off the wall, (laughs) but but it's necessary, Mm -hmm. right? It, It adds to it, and I think we'd be missing something if we didn't have you. Yeah, and thank you for that explanation, because. I saw absolutely none of that uh-huh. when I watched the movie. And I think I was so grumpy at the halfway mark that I was just biased against the whole movie. And I was mm-hmm. like, I hate everything about this movie. Even toward the end, I was still like, I don't think I saw 
anything you just said. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that no, perspective. <laughs> I like how you're saying that when we lose compassion, you know, like yeah. we lose it all. It's, you can't even look at anybody. Like the, yeah. uh, the, the woman in the hospital, I was just like, Shut there up, was no like, ability yeah. to connect. There's just a complete wall. Yeah. And yeah. then when that wall breaks, you see the humanity, then you're able to have any kind of connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's what Llewellyn is really trying to get at. Um, there's one scene where he's in the gaslight and he's watching people perform on stage and he's just like, what is this? Yeah. And then everybody in this, the, the whole bar starts singing at once. And you he, mean when Justin Timberlake's yeah, performing? Yeah. yeah. And everybody in the bar starts singing. He's like startled and he's looking around. He's like, everybody's connected to this but me. Mm. He's like, what is happening? Like he's so, he is so disconnected. Um, and that is something I definitely resonate with. Yeah, I'm just for like, sure. Dang. For sure, well, yeah. And if it wasn't clarified... It's not that, oh, the way it started is the way it ended. Like, I mean, literally word for word, there's events that happen and you're almost thinking, did I rewind the movie? Because this is word for word, scene for scene, what's right, happening, right. but with little touches and changes. And at the end, he is met with compassion. And I think that is what helps like him change his perspective, even when the circumstances do not change. Because he's met with compassion by the uh, the woman he was having an issue with. Um, and had history with, and she got him a spot back into the gaslight to sing again. And he goes back to the family that he cussed out because his wife was singing Mike's part. It was yeah. Mike mm-hmm. and Mitch. And she comes and she apologizes mm-hmm. first and says, I'm sorry, like, and, and hugs him and welcomes him back in. And he's saying, why are you apologizing to me? Like, you, I'm, I need to apologize to you. I'm sorry. And she says, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, yeah, it's She fine. has that compassion. Dude, yeah. it's and hope. the cat's back. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but the, the other cat he hit and left in the middle yeah, of the I still, field. I still mm-hmm. don't know. And also, I don't know, know yeah. But it's in a fake car cat. in the middle of a freezing storm. It's a you fake cat. It's an imposter cat. Left. So yeah. it's okay, I'll die in a car. It's Mike. Mike's like, dead. Mike has to go. Uh, I was point, upset when he didn't get the cat. I think this is a great illustration here of how, like, Film going and watching these movies should be communal, right? Because, you know, I mean, we all go to church. So we talk about how like reading, you don't want to just read the Bible in isolation and have your own private interpretation. You want to read in community. So that way you can, there's things you're going to get from one another, right? By reading and studying it together. And I think the same is true of film as well, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, because like for me, when I watched this movie, I was a music musician and that's the mindset I was in as I was watching it is like oh my gosh how many people like in the music world industry that are my friends do I know that are like Lewin that are trying to hold on trying to make it you know the whole theme of compromise right like that really spoke to me because that moment when he goes to Bud Grossman and he pours his heart out (laughs) and plays that song and he's like it's just not good enough. I don't see any money here. That's yeah. what he says. Right to his face. He says, get back with your partner. Get back. And Llewellyn's like, like, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's crushing. The idea that you're not good enough in and of yourself, right? <laughs> that you're not commercial enough. That you're not talented enough. And and his song, it's, it's, yeah, that's probably like my favorite song in the movie. It's mm-hmm. just so heartfelt. And, you know, and you could tell he's giving everything he has in this performance. The uh, the Hangman song stuck out the last time I watched it. He's like, yeah. hang me, oh, hang me. Like, oh, yeah, I, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. mind the hanging, but the lying in the grave would be. It's like, he says, I wouldn't mind the hanging. Like, please 
end this, but yeah. then that endless lying in the grave, he's like, right. that would be a problem. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, well, well, and it's mm. crazy too. I told you this too. I was texting you that like at the end of the movie, he's going off stage and you see in the background, another person. Yeah, Bob Dylan. It looks like Bob. Yeah. It's pretty much Bob, Bob Dylan. And you know that Bob Dylan is going to have an incredibly successful career. He's going to embody everything that Lewin wanted in this movie. Right. And he's going to do it alone without a partner. Right. He's going to mm. be his own man. And he's going to do that. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with that, like what that means, because it's almost like uh, I don't know if it's like a timing thing. Like, does Lewin need to stick with it more or is Lewin being overshadowed by the future? Like what's coming? I, don't I feel know. like it's even a contentment. You need to be content where you're at. You can't just be looking at someone and be like, oh, you know, I wish it inspired. Oh, yeah. To be content in who there, you are and be content. Yeah. In. The, the word compromise I have just like it. It feels negative, the acceptance. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, there's yeah, some yeah, yeah. kind of acceptance. acceptance. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And, that, and that's the last stage of grief. Like there's an acceptance yeah. that you have. Right. Um, and well, it's like, like like Justin Timberlake's yeah. character. I don't remember a lot of these names, but like Justin Timberlake's character, you see when he invites Lewin to come to the recording studio with him and Adam Driver and they do that song. Mm-hmm. And Lewin's like, Who wrote this? Yeah. He's like, Oh, it, it was me. It's like, oh. And it's like, but it's like, that's that acceptance, right? Is that Timber, Justin Timberlake's character knows that there's certain things that people like that he needs to do, you know, and he wants, he ends up wanting to create songs that people can sing along and feel connected with. Whereas I think Lewin's art is more about self-expression, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing about self-expression, especially at the, it's hard for me to escape the time period of this movie in the early 60s. Self-expression in music, it was very rare that you could pull it off and like actually, like you had Johnny Cash and you had like Robert, John, like you had a few artists that were doing it, but it was so hard. It's not until you get to Bob Dylan mm. where he really popularizes um, he pulls together the the pop so- like the poppy type song that everyone could sing along with and the self expression together. Bob Dylan is literally like, um, he is what Lewin could be if he fully embraced that acceptance. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think because this movie has like there's so much heart in this movie. I think it stands out among all of Coen Brothers films because most of them don't have this heart. Most of them are very, very dark and existential and have like a real negative spin on life. Yeah. And I don't think this film is like that. And so I think for me, this is one of their best films. Yeah. I want to add one thing. Yep. Because I saw this and I that's what I really liked. And even if there wasn't growth in him in the movie, or at least until the end, it was the start of it. So... I saw this movie and I went home and at first I was upset. I stared right at the side of Nick's head. I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way this ends like this. That's your and reaction then, to all his movies. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then I realized, oh, it's a Coen Brothers movie. It's awesome. So no, I, uh, I thought about it more and I sent in the group chat a picture of uh, Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill. Yeah. And if you aren't familiar with Ooh, that's the myth good... of Sisyphus, is about a man uh, who is doomed to roll a giant boulder up the hill. Um, and does it get heavier? I can't remember. But basically, for eternity, he has to roll this boulder up the and hill. And it just rolls back and down. And it rolls back down, and he has yeah. to do it again. And 
it was so it so tripped me out that it was word for word at the end of the movie, but there were the slight changes. The it was a little bit brighter, and it felt like this whole movie was him rolling this giant boulder up the hill, and he's tired and he's exhausted, and he's in the bathroom with um, John Goodman, like uh-huh. overdosing, and he's staring at a bathroom wall and. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it says, what are you doing? And yeah. it's underlined. I think that's the most hurtful thing I've ever seen in a bathroom stall. But it just, and all of us has been, have been at that pit where it's just depressing and we're tired. And that thought comes in our head. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. And, but at the end, the, the boulder has rolled back down the hill. He's back at the gaslight mm-hmm. and he's starting to push it again. But now his perception has changed when everything else hasn't. It's literally SSDD. Yeah. He's pushing it back up, but he puts an extra song. Yeah. The cat's back. He's reconciled. It's, he's got compassion. He still gets punched. And the thing is, you know he's going to get hit because it's the same exact scene. Right. You know this dude's about to deck him in the face, but the ending changes. And it looks – and from there – I can't remember what you said at the beginning of the podcast, but we're anticipating what's going to happen to him after we're not watching him anymore. And that is the show that there could be something different in his life or it could be completely the same with the circumstances, but the way he acts, the way he perceives it and the way he responds is different. And there's going to be growth after that, after the movie's over. What makes Slice (laughs) of Life different from the other genres is that other genres, you get a complete sense of a person's journey, right? Yeah. Slice of Life is not meant to do that. It's actually instead meant to focus on a particular moment or yeah. series of mm-hmm. moments in someone's life. And you don't need to necessarily know what comes before or after. Mm-hmm. It's just like a window mm-hmm. that you get to see. So I think this is one last thing that stuck out the last time we watched it. Um, <clears throat> when he performs at the gaslight at the end, after uh-huh. his second song, he gets a pretty big round of applause. Yes. Like it's pretty yes. profound. Like it sticks out. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but it's almost like the second he accepted things, he is receiving exactly what he was right. looking yeah. for. Right. Um, yeah. You could even think in his self-loathing, loathing, yeah. he probably didn't even, he was probably getting that, but because he was self-loathing, he didn't really realize it. Yeah. That's yeah. Very, probably very true because he performs at the Gaslight all the time. But yeah. That last time he performed, he was sober, he was healthy, yeah. he, he experienced his art and then appreciation for his art. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that was fascinating. This is good. Mm. All right, Joe, you got a childhood classic for us. Hit us with your slice of life. We are taking pick, huge please. turns. We are taking a huge I turn. Love, every but that's how life is, right? We're going from the comedy to the drama. <coughs> and now we're going back to the comedy again. Um, so I picked Good Burger. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't know who good, what Good Burger is, Good Burger is about um, uh, pretty much a high school kid. He's trying to enjoy his summer vacation, but he has to get a summer job because of his own problems um, <laughs> that he gets himself into. Yeah, but yeah, it's but he he gains a friend in the in the middle of it, someone that can teach him to just relax, slow down, and just enjoy the things that are happening around you. Yeah, and not to be a chicken, moo moo. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to think about how Good Burger was a slice of life. But hearing it now, it's the <laughs> like the concept of like what a slice of life is is the uh-huh. abstract of the idea, and I think the abstract idea is to 
not just stay focused on the objects of the objects or like the money of life. Uh-huh. And just like how Ed is just experiencing each day, yes. day by day mm-hmm. and just enjoying the things that happen in that moment. He had, he was dreaming about burgers, like, and he just yep. woke up. He wakes up in his burger outfit yes. and takes a shower. He's on skates. He's just enjoying his life. And I'm like, dang, I'm I feel that. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I, yeah, because I was watching Good Burger and I was thinking like, this is Slice of Life, but this is also at times, um, we didn't really talk about this genre much, but it's, there's kind of a bit of a sports film aspect in it as well, or an us versus them film, which mm-hmm. is basically like you have. The big dog. burger versus Mondo burger. Yeah, you got the big top dog here, and then you've got the underdog here. So it's an underdog story. It's, right? yeah. it's average ways. Joe's versus Globo Joe's. Exactly. Yeah. It's just exactly. burger and dodgeball with no with no old man in a wheelchair. Exactly. Because good burger's going in the grinder. Man, what do you keep talking about this grinder for, bro? Is it like some kind of metaphor? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Because, Joe, you were texting me. You're like, how is this slice of life? And I'm like, bro, like in the first (laughs) minute of this movie, this guy is like waking up in a burger, like in a fast food uniform. He's taking a shower there. Like literally like he is given his life to this to good burger. But that's the thing is instead of it like enslaving him. He he just embraces it. He yeah. just enjoys life on a level that no other character in that film does. And I don't know if any of y'all have worked at fast food, but that's how it freaking feels when you're just working. Crazy. Like I've worked like I've I've worked like fifty, sixty hour weeks, and uh-huh. you wake up, you like you go to bed in a cold and sweat, you, and you close your eyes, and when you open them, you're back at work. Yeah, that's that's all. That's, oh, that's a good way I, to think I thought, of that. I thought opening. this movie was stupid with the burgers. Well, because he's dreaming around. about it. Yeah. Right? He's dreaming about it, and I, at first I'm like, "What's going on?" But then he wakes up, and then I go, "Okay, yeah, I get it. That's how it is." That's Nancy exactly was like, "Did you ever have like. a Chick Fil A sandwich talk to you?" No, but I would, <laughs> I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night, night half asleep, and I would take orders. Oh, I would wow. sit up in my bed, and I would say, "I can serve the next guest." And half of my brain would go, dude, you are in your bed. You need to go to sleep. Wow. That's not real. And I would go, you're right. I need to go to bed, but let me just get these guests out first. (laughs) And then I can go to sleep. Like, it was just this mash of reality and, and, and illusion because I had been working there so much. And it felt like I had given my life for that. And this dude has done that but yeah. way I, happier than I was I even feel like it's a thing of identity in the story too because um, I forget what's what's his name again the, the I guess the main character not Ed but the other one Dexter Dexter Dexter's identity is in himself he's yeah. trying to just enjoy all he can at the time um, the person that runs Mondo Burger his identity Kurt is Kurt yeah Kurt <laughs> Kurt bro uh, Kurt's identity is in money it's in the sale it's in Success, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mondo, make, Mondo the, make burger. the burgers bigger, yeah. bigger, um, and bigger, then, bigger. Even with the teacher, his identity is, is in, in his, his stuff. Car. Yeah, it's yeah, in his, his stuff in his car. Trying, <laughs> see, this movie's deep, y'all. And it's about identity and, and, and good outfit. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I may show up to work in the outfit that he has. <laughs> his identity is in impersonating Shaft. And then I'm, I'm gonna be just the, you know, come on, my brother. You know, you thinking like you're gonna have this summer vacation, my brother? See, you see that right there, my brother? Please go to work just like that. Oh, please, please. But no, I, I thinking about it more and think and and looking at my notes, I, I can kind of see now the slice of life stuff and the real 
deeper meanings of good burger. Oh yeah. <laughs> and just the fact that it's fun. Like it is such yeah. a fun, like Kurt is probably like Kurt and Ed are just my favorite. Yeah. Like I just, every time Kurt's on screen, I'm like, this actor is just having the time of his life. He knows this is some Nickelodeon made for TV yeah. movie or whatever it is. And he don't care. <laughs> he is like, he's going to put everyone in that grinder. It is just, <laughs> oh, it is, God. he is, it's so much, it is so much fun. It is. And then you never expect that this movie is going to eventually end up in an insane asylum. <laughs> Yeah, oh my God. I have a whole musical in the insane asylum. That joke would be wild. Yeah, <laughs> and well, like you, you can have fun anywhere. An yeah. enemy to friend, every like everywhere, because he you, just he doesn't associate like he he doesn't disassociate people. It's like oh yeah, he, he doesn't. He's judge. innocent. Yeah, he's he's purely innocent. Mm-hmm. Where he's just like I can make a friend with anybody. That's Kyle. Literally, that's Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. then it doesn't it Ed end who like saves the day. He's yeah. like, yeah. oh, and I figured if I just grab it, they're not gonna believe me. La 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 la. Yeah. Like literally yeah. rattles off the most I, logical like ever. Yeah, because he's not dumb. He's just like, well, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm just not trying stupid. To, yeah, <laughs> just enjoying life. But you know what that shows me though? Because I that's one of my favorite. I, I guess you could call it like a punchline, right? For the entire movie <laughs> right. is that he actually is really smart. Plot twist. But I think, <laughs> but I think what I love about that is that that tells me that Ed's whole identity his makeup how he is through life that's a choice uh, he is choosing scary. to live like that that is scary that dude was swimming in the milkshake machine he, yeah. is, choosing, <laughs> he is choosing to swim in that milkshake machine and to go like, right? he is making, <laughs> making his own secret sauce and stuff yeah. like that yeah he is, he is choosing even to go even with the life. contract i'm sure he even knew what the contract was. I, yeah. Like, I, wanted, I don't really care. Yeah, I don't care. You know, I don't need this money. But well, you can tell he genuinely cares about Dexter, right? Because yeah. they have that, like, conversation. Dexter's talking about, like, his, you know, not having a dad. And yeah. they're both kind of share. That's very slice of lifey moment where they're just bonding. And then he goes and he gets him the yo-yo. Yeah. I'm like, Ed is just a, just a genuine yeah. Like that, everyone yeah. needs an Ed in there. <laughs> that man did say though, oh, I forget what my dad looks like too. But at the end of the day, I still get to go see, see him every day. But then, but then if it's if it's um if it's not if it's a choice, then that means that also when these people order. Oh, he can choose. I asked for a burger with yeah. nothing on. Yeah, a, a beet patty <laughs> is something. All those hey, he's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. He didn't even. He doesn't even care about that type of stuff. He's just like, you know, I'm trying to go on a date and hang out with my, like, hang out with my friends. Why yeah. you trying to come up on me? Yeah. He freaking Relax. showed her through her. Yeah. <laughs> Safe touch. He's very. Yeah. He's very genuine. Uh, Nick, what do you think of this movie? You've been quiet. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't get to watch it. Uh, but you've never trying, seen it at all. I, I have a long time ago, but I only remember like the main highlights, like Kill and. I don't remember much. <laughs> so, sorry about that one. Let's keep the comedy train going with another... Classic. Maybe child classic. classic for, I don't know. I didn't start... I actually didn't... I thought this show was terrible when I was like younger. But then when I got older, I was like, oh, it's actually opened. pretty good. And this is, of course, Jason's pick. I King only of the like this because of Jason. This, <laughs> this only makes sense to me because of Jason. This if I never met you, this show is... <laughs> Not a chance. Uh, it's, this is the Jason show. This is Jason's even wearing an outfit that kind of yeah. looks. Yeah. Oh, well, if I take the button down off, I have the white T-shirt 
Oh, and that it's tucked Hank. in. <laughs> that Hank. And so I've got Hank Hill under the hood. There was a girl at Autumn's birthday party wearing a Bobby Hill shirt. Yes. And I'm like, Jason, that's your wife right there. <laughs> it, it wasn't, but <laughs> she, she made the prerequisite. Oh, man. So, Jason, so, why'd you pick King of the Hill? So I picked King of the Hill because the concept of picking King of the Hill for a podcast is funny to me <laughs> um, in itself. But this show is slept on. It's a hidden gem. There's a lot in there, and it's a lot deeper than Family Guy or any. A lot of other. Um, it is yeah, well, a lot yeah, of other absolutely. Adult Swim shows. And what I thought was funny is it was always the threshold of Adult Swim. It was way too dry and not fun enough for any kid to right. want to watch. And like, oh, Adult Swim's on. Whatever time to go to bed. Yeah. Or the ones who stayed up late to watch Family Guy. They had to wait, but also it wasn't you know adult enough for a lot of people who like Family Guy and, and South Park to really want to watch it. Right. But in that, there is a lot of storytelling that has to do with family trauma uh-huh. relating to your son, how one's image in the community is important or isn't it? Uh, we see Hank Hill who has had an inc- inc- insanely abusive uh, father that at first he didn't really realize the depth of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, you'll pick out a lot of lines and Hank one time goes, huh, can you imagine if my dad loved me unconditionally? Boy, I'll tell you what. And there's all these hints <laughs> at trauma, at like yeah. pain, at um, just a, I guess a thickness of skin that was developed because of that. And Hank has no idea how to relate to Bobby because Bobby is just like... Bobby's an like the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. He likes comedy. He's like listening to music and it's just fart sounds. <laughs> and um, he wants to be a cheerleader. Or There's an episode where he wants to be a, a, a plus-sized child model. And you Hank ever, is like you, fighting him. Is like, no, you're not going to do that. Have you ever seen the self-defense one where Bobby takes a self-defense <laughs> class, but he goes to that's a not my purse. Defense yeah. class? <laughs> that's not my purse. How many I don't know. Did you watch? Huh? How many episodes did you watch? I've, I've seen a couple of like that's one. Stuff, that's yeah. one of the most famous ones, yeah. right? Yeah, and he does that throughout the series. He'll say, "That's my purse. I don't yeah. know you," and he'll <laughs> kick someone in the crotch. <laughs> and uh, there's an episode where he does that to his mom, and she goes, "Ha." Huh, you will find that I have no testicles. Yep. <laughs> and their next door neighbor, Khan, is watching them over the fence and he goes, she bluffing, finish her. <laughs> and, and that was also cool. So there's a lot of points and a lot of questions that the show uh, pulls up. It's one, how do you relate to your child when they're one, nothing like you, and two, your apparent tra- traumas hold you back and have shaped your narrative yeah. against you. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not all black and white, and parenting and it's having a family is not black and white. Life yeah. is not black and white, and you know Hank is oftentimes right for the wrong reasons, and he has a very like he's a square, he's a total yeah. square. And another really cool thing, so if you watch the pilot episode, uh huh, it's a really good pilot episode because it lays everything out. Yeah, because it's the DCF worker going to all the neighbors right. and asking them about Hank Hill, about his son. And Dale is being interviewed in his house, and he goes, oh, yeah, Hank's got a lot of problems. Hey, baby, how about a couple beers? 
and his wife is like, nope, sorry, I'm, I'm, I got a headache appointment. And he go, she le- runs out the door and goes with John Redcorn in the car. A headache appointment. Yeah. <laughs> been, and he's like, you've been going to that healer for the last fourteen years. Is that the first episode? This is the first yeah, episode. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then they call, and then he calls in his son, and his son looks just like that guy. Yeah. And. It's, it's just funny, but it tells you everything. Uh, Boomhauer's yelling at the DCF worker because he said he's been calling them about the dog barking in the neighborhood and no one showed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the, they're, just, they're looking at the guy's car. They're looking at Hank's car trying yeah. to fix it, and they just keep breaking it. Yes. Yeah. Dale cuts his brake cables and run away. Uh, uh, Dale goes, you know why it's a problem? It's because it's a Ford. Stands for fix it again, Tony. <laughs> and Hank goes, that's a fiat, Dale. It's stupid. It's, it's, it's really dumb. Stupid. It's dumb. Yeah. But these are the conversations we have with each other. Just stupid things. And, and <laughs> Nick's like, not me. So here's the thing. So here's the Every thing. Every day. <laughs> we do. And that's what the show is about. And including its depth. Because what is the conversation they have Right before the first opening of the show, they're standing around the car. They're figuring out how to fix it. They're talking about politics or whatever. And then Dale asks, if everyone has seen the Seinfeld show last night? And mm-hmm. and Boomhauer starts talking about George and um, Kramer. And he's like, man, them dang old New York boys. <laughs> Just a show about nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and, then that's the whole, and that's the beginning of the whole series of yeah, King right. of the Hill. And it's funny because they are always up against, you know, New Yorkers. They make fun of them. And, but that's what it is. That's yeah. a show about nothing. And King of the Hill is a show about nothing in Texas. I think it's the, the same. I think the funniest one was, was when um, Dale put the I Love New York on, Stick on, on his helmet and he rips it off. I was like, gosh, dang it, Dale. And he's uh, <laughs> uh, Dale's underneath his car as Hank's driving off and puts it right back on. <laughs> oh, they mess with him so much. Yeah. And like, so how many, so, how many seasons are there? 13. There's 13. Oh, I, mean, I can't, I I can't mean, do it. 13 seasons. I can't do it. But this show was successful enough to make 13 seasons. And what other show have you seen? Where One Piece. Hold on. There's no. a lot. In One Piece, they don't get arrested for using crack as fish bait because they thought it was fish bait. That's in King of the Hill. That's fair. And he has <laughs> to prove to the judge that he thought it was fish bait by taking him fi- the judge fishing and proving that he can catch a fish with it. But the fish get used to the crack and don't want to bite it anymore. <laughs> so he, this dude is going to, this guy is going to a drug dealer at night and buying fish bait, which he, he thinks he's actually being sold fish bait. He's being, he's buying crack. Oh, and his friends are like, no, come on, let, let me get some of that mystery fish bait. And it's like, <laughs> mystery fish it's bait. doing really well. Like, this it's is catching, Hooks. This is, this is the origin of Hooks. He's catching like the same fish five times. Like they're biting it like crazy. And they're like, oh man, this stuff is really good. I've seen quite a lot of it. You know, man, you know what I'm saying? Propane and propane accessories. Oh wait, so Derek, I want to hear... Yeah, I, I did like that Can we too. just have Nick do that sound for the intro? <laughs> I'm fine with that. But Derek, I wrote for the yeah. next four minutes or however, I want to hear your thoughts on King I'm of the Hill. I'm going to do in one minute. So, okay. Well, that hurts, but I accept it. <laughs> I, I am, I this am, is my attempt oh, oh, oh. To, to not be alone, but that's I, okay. Listen, I got listen, one minute. Listen, 
I am a huge fan of a lot of Mike Judge's stuff. You gotta see his movies. He has three really hilarious movies that genuinely make me laugh out loud every time I watch them. And that's Idiocracy, uh, Office Space, mm -hmm. and Beavis and Butthead Do America. Two, uh, two out of three. <laughs> Which one do you not like? I haven't seen Idiocracy. Oh, oh that's the best one! Yeah. Oh, is it better than Office Space? Yeah, so Yeah, so for King of the Hill, what I love about it is it just takes the most mundane things mm -hmm. in life and completely blows them out of proportion. But that is really what people do, right? So I think my two favorite episodes are the one where Hank decides to leave his church because and he decides to go church shopping, right? Huh. And he and the reason why he leaves his church is because there's new guests that sit in his seats. <laughs> he sat in the same seat for like a decade, like and he's like, "That's that's my seat." <laughs> and and you're actually on the side of this other family and the the, the, the pastor, right? You're on their side, yeah. Because you're like, "Yeah, don't make a big deal about the seats." But you, nah, that's so, my, that's our seat, bro. That's you are so invested in Hank Hill. Being so animate that that's his seat. And then they go to like the big mega church. Oh, and then man. they like Peggy like starts to find like her purpose and belonging and all that there. And Hank is just like he loves that they watch football and like all the right. Because it's a mega church that is very like, you know, yeah. it's a let me let me put this nicely. It's ahead, a commentary it. on the mega church. Like, it's, it's a critique for sure. Um, Thank you. Oh, <laughs> but it, it's so it's so hilarious. And my King other my other first. favorite is the one where the Canadians move in next door, oh. and they just they just. Oh, I've seen that one when they that, have the like Canadian beer and stuff like yes, that. Yeah, the Canadians <laughs> are just insulting Hank every chance they get, but they're so nice about it. You use propane. <laughs> Yeah, everything about Hank, they literally tear down in this one episode, oh, and it man. culminates in a lawnmower face-off, <laughs> where they are literally just riding an American and a Canadian lawnmower and seeing which one cuts the grass better. It doesn't get more slice of life than that. What do you think, Tori? I made you watch King of the Hill. Yes. Comment. I mean, I thought it was funny. It's just stupid. It's, like, <laughs> it's very stupid. I think it's you would so make stupid. a real <laughs> But it is funny. So I do yeah. remember the only two episodes that I remember, which might be the only ones we actually watched, was the Canadian one and the Mega Church right. one. I remember those. You watched a couple others with me too, but you probably yeah. just don't remember them yeah. as much. I just remember with the Canadian one where they both end up in jail and then Hank gets out and the guy's like, aren't you going to bail me out? And he's like, pfft. America does that for everybody. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. But then they do. I think in the end they end up bailing they him out bail anyway. But like he American goes home and sold. Because gives this big speech about what Americans would do and why America is better than Canada. And that's what motivates him. to. He doesn't have any compassion on the Canadian. He's just like the most American thing to do is to put Canada in its place. And that's by bailing them out. Bailing them out and sending them back yeah. to Canada. And sending them back to Canada. Yeah. Josiah, I hope you're listening. <laughs> oh, man. King so, of the Hill. Yeah. Now Social you chose commentary through the dumbest expression ever. Now you chose to do a TV show, and that inspired me to do a TV show as well. I, I've talked about the Twilight Zone on this podcast a lot, and that's my favorite TV show. But if I was to say I have another favorite TV show, it would be The Wonder Years. And so The Wonder Years was a show that started in 1988 and ran till uh, around ran six seasons. 
And it's just following this boy played by Fred Savage. And you're just following Kevin Arnold and his family. And that's all it is. But uh, what I like about it is that, for one, the comedy is great and the drama is great. And so many of the time, like these kind of shows lean so heavy in the comedy Mm -hmm. that there's not a lot of tension or drama because you know things are going to reset by the end of the episode. Yeah. I'm surprised this is, at how political it was. It's Almost very political. Almost every episode is talking about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know another TV Back show in Nam. Well, back in yeah. that time period, yeah. right? The you 80s and the 90s <laughs> to talk that much. But the thing about the Wonder Years is that there is no reset button. Mm. If something happens in that mm-hmm. episode, it's permanent. Mm. And it carries over to the next episode and the next. And it's like... That's life right there. There is no reset button. Yeah, that's good. It literally just keeps going. And so the the show was originally supposed to be a movie, but then they were like, we we want to just like explore life. There's no way we're going to have time in a, in a movie to depict everything. They wanted to not be in a hurry. And so they made some creative decisions that were really controversial at the time. Like we're going to film everything on location which that was that never happened for like a scripted TV show like that. They also say we're not doing a, an audience. Like oh. we're, we're not doing a, a laugh. No laugh track. No, none of that. Like we are Good. like, and they want it to feel real. Yeah. They chose a real suburban neighborhood. They chose, you know, like, like the, the, a lot of the show's budget is actually just going to the props and all that because it, one and probably the, things, the music. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing, right? Is the licensed music because they were like, we are going to have the best music, you know? And so all the licensed music they have and the props, because this show takes place in the 60s. So it's like literally everything is supposed to be authentic, like of the time period. The first episodes, the pilot, you know, you're in 1968, which many people consider to be one of the worst years ever in American history. You have the height of Vietnam. You have the assassination of MLK. You have just lots of protests and different things going on. And it starts with this transition from elementary to middle school. And in those last moments before, because the whole first season is about losing your innocence. And that transition to middle school is the loss of innocence. In every episode, there's a piece of innocence that gets taken away, right? And so you kind of see that tearing down and that will inform the rest of the seasons to come is it's only six episodes the first season and in six episodes you start with this wide-eyed kid you know and you see him torn down like the innocence taken away but it's called the wonder years because it's about finding wonder in the midst of this really difficult time of life when you're transitioning and the song the first song that plays in the show is the birds song turn 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 and it's the whole song is literally the lines. It's, it's the book of Ecclesiastes, that whole uh, mm-hmm. chapter three, right? Like there's a time for every, that's yeah. literally how the show starts is with this song. And I'm like, that's, that's it right there. Like life is just turn, turn, turn. There's a time for this, a time for that. And it tells you in that song, what the entire rest of the show is going to be. There's going to be a time for this and a time for that. And you're going to bounce back and forth between all these different things of love and war and love and hate and you know beauty like you're that that's what you're gonna see and that's what you see 
in life as well. And you find all these characters are just trying to figure out who they are in the midst of it. When he cuts her hair, changes her name, her clothes, she's just trying to figure out, you know, who she is as she goes to middle school. Kevin just doesn't know if he wants to be the good kid or the rebel. And then at the end of the first episode, you get that, that moment. Want to kiss? Well, before they kiss that moment where it's, um, (coughs) Brian was killed. Mm-hmm. And just like that, a character's gone. <clears throat> and and it's Winnie's older brother. And that's the one that they kind of look up to. And he's killed in Vietnam. They they find out. And there's that your brother's dead, and then you get your first kiss. Like this the juxtaposition because Kevin and Winnie go to the park, and that's when they have their, their first kiss, right? And then the second episode literally just picks up right after that. Like there's no reset. There's no nothing. The funeral it's literally, is that one. Yeah, right? exactly. They're at a funeral and it's like, oh, okay. It's this kind of show. Jeez. Like we're just in it. Like we're just going for it. And then, you know, you, you just start. But I'll, I'll read this here and then I want to get your thoughts on the show. But this is uh, uh, from from that first episode. Because we know that – oh, and by the way, there's like these narrations as well if you've never seen the show where basically like – you have Kevin Arnold, the kid that you're watching the events unfold as you're getting the objective perspective. And then you're getting older Kevin that's narrating and commenting on it because it's like him looking back on it and reflecting and trying to make meaning from those experiences. So this is the, the voice over there because we know that inside each one of those identical boxes with its Dodge parked out front and its white bread on the table and its TV set glowing blue in the falling desk. There were people with stories. There were families bound together in the pain and the struggle of love. There were moments that made us cry with laughter. And there's moments like this one that fill us with sorrow and wonder. I'm like, that's it. Like that slice of life right there. There's people. And and it's just literally, it's just these stories. That's it. It's just stories about people. So I love to get, I mean, Tori, we got into the show together. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. It's very you, Derek, because it's very reflective and it's very... That's literally what's going on in my head. Like, yeah. I, I sit in bed at the end of the day and it's almost like the older Kevin Arnold, the older <laughs> Derek's voice is like, and in that moment, I realized <laughs> that that's literally like my life. Like, yes. That's literally... Yes. And that's like, it's like very narrative therapy too, where you're actually going back and revisiting life and you're just kind of trying to figure out what it all meant. But anyways, yeah. go, keep going. Well, and I think too, like it, it was interesting for me as a girl watching a boy's perspective of middle school and how yeah. all those things changed because I was raised in a house where I only had a sister and my mom and my dad. So I never got the boy perspective of that. And so I thought that was interesting for me to see that kind of stage of life and that transition yeah from which like feels kid. very real to being a, to growing up as yeah because i remember man. asking you questions like are you for real like was this really that dramatic and you're like oh my god that was so dramatic in seventh grade and i was like wow okay um <laughs> like i don't know i guess my childhood just wasn't that dramatic and it's the fact that you remember stuff from seventh grade I, right. things are dramatic things happen words spoken yeah <laughs> yeah for real yeah, so I didn't. I don't think I had that much drama as um, others did in middle school. So it was interesting to watch that in like a more realistic setting, um, instead of like a stupid movie about it, like yeah. like Mean Girls or something like that. So yeah. it was interesting to watch that. Um, it's very reflective, and it's also very like 
realistic. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. There's so, and there's so many episodes that on that journey that are just like, like there's so many memorable episodes yeah. and already like the first four, right? Cause you get the first episode I already described second episode, they're learning sex ed and the gym teacher is one of my favorite characters oh my when he tries to draw yeah. the vagina on the, on the white. Yeah, no wonder why this guy's single. <laughs> <laughs> he draws the box woman. The box woman. Yes. Oh my God. It's I think so good. One of my, then, I think one of my favorite moments was. Because him and his brother, who I'm blanking on his name. Wayne, Wayne, yeah. Like, they just don't get along the whole time. Like, they're just constantly butting heads. And there's an episode where it's when Wayne gets his driver's license and he's driving with his little brother. And his little brother is absolutely terrified because Wayne's, like, driving out of control and all this stuff. And they end up, like, what, driving through a cornfield or something? Like, they do, do, like, an almost wreck. They almost, But they don't. And it's, like, he's just sitting there, like... Oh my God, that's my brother. He almost killed me. But I don't think he did it on purpose. <laughs> you know, like. Well, there's a lot of. And there's like a real connection that they have afterwards because then Kevin kind of lies to his parents about the whole thing because his dad's going to like kill Wayne basically. Yeah. Like, you did this. You almost killed your brother. Like, all Wait. this stuff. And instead, like, Kevin actually like surprisingly takes the side of his brother and is like, we're just kids growing up. Like, it's all good. We're alive. We're it, moving on. It's so brilliant what they do between him and Wayne because, Nick, you're on, like, the second season, right? Mm-hmm. So Wayne hasn't had a lot of development, right? And that's very intentional. They're leaving. They're really bringing their relationship to a boiling point. There's a lot of really good episodes with Wayne that come later. Well, and he's one of those annoying characters that you just don't like, but you grow to understand. You do. You really – that this is a kid who really hates himself. Mm-hmm. Like, he really genuinely does not like himself. And he takes wow. it out on everybody. And it when the, there's these small moments where you see him crying out, and it just wrecks you. Because yeah. you're just like, that's... It's like Lewin Davis for mm-hmm. six seasons. But there is <laughs> yeah. growth. There and is, you can actually see the growth. <laughs> if we had Lewin Davis for six seasons, we'd probably get some yeah, growth there. Yeah, that would be tough. But, but, we'll <laughs> but, but then you get the third episode with the dad... Which one, I think an M, like I a. I finished that one. Oh my God. Well, we're going to talk about that because the first four episodes were the ones that we had. But Nick, we talked about the dad one a bit. We were yeah. texting, right? What mm-hmm. did you think of that one? The dad is what stuck out most to me in the show. Yeah. Um, because he's like, he doesn't seem like a nice guy or even a good dad the first couple episodes. Yeah. But. The way the family is, there there seems to be just like this space for everyone to be themselves. Yeah. And the dad is himself. He is kind of closed off. He works really hard. He comes home and watches TV. But the show is very intentional in showing the moments where he is like this you know, loving and caring and fun father. Yeah. But it's not all at once. And sometimes it doesn't come for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but everyone seems to kind of accept each other. And there, there just seems to be space for everyone to be themselves. And it's really shown with the dad for me. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of struck me. I was like, this guy sucks. But but he's still very much the anchor of the family. Yeah. And a couple see the that show was good because it's funny because Kevin's like turned straight into him. He comes home and slams the door behind oh, him. Yeah. So this and, episode yeah. where he like he gets to he wants to know more about his dad. So he goes to work with him yeah. that day. And so they go to work together and he sees that his dad is just constantly is getting overwhelmed with 
things to do and it's like working in a hospital you just yeah. can't make anyone you, happy oh, it's, yeah he just gets overwhelmed with things right and then there's that moment where his dad tries to do the right thing and then his boss above him just chews him out in front of kevin mm-hmm. and then the moment like because when his dad has a bad day he goes out and he pulls out a telescope yeah. and he looks up at the stars mm-hmm. and so there's that moment where they they both have the bad day he they slam the door right and then they just go outside and they look at the stars and it's there's this real I'm gonna get choked up like yeah, saying I'm, it out loud. But well, there's I'm, this I'm moment really good. I feel like it's really well, good. Well, well there's yeah. this moment where the dad is like look like cause you wonder why does like why a telescope? Why is he looking at like why why is that where he goes, right? And you just see like space has all these possibilities and he's mm-hmm. trapped. Well no like but he also wanted to be a captain exactly. of a ship. Wanted, yeah, yeah I'm getting to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And he wanted to like that's what he really wanted to do, yeah. right? Because I think that's what it's symbolic of yeah. is possibility. Yeah. And he's trapped in this job and he has to do this to provide for his family. Cause as we know later he won't the wife doesn't work and he he has he has those ver- those uh dominant narratives about why he, he doesn't believe women should work and make money, right? And that's a whole other arc. There's a hole in my suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, you get a taste of that in the episode in season two, the pottery one, right? Well, yeah. So that episode, I texted you because this line is just fantastic. I, I think Kevin is looking at his parents and trying to find like how they're affectionate towards each other. Mm-hmm. And he says something like, I've never really seen my parents in love. Um, it's always just kind of been there like the ground we walk on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was blown away. Like, it's just like this stability that yeah. two parents in the home give a family. Even if the dad has got his flaws, like they're all at the dinner table together. No one's like telling anybody to really change except for like Wayne and Kevin. But they like bicker. They just like yeah. fight. Yeah. It's not like. It's interesting. The mom and the daughter have a weird relationship. Like the mom doesn't want her to go like be the way she is like she's trying to like tame her down but then you see like in one episode like she's shortening her skirt for her like she's literally like hemming her skirt to make it shorter and i'm like that's so interesting like the relationship that they have and they learn because they learn from each other right because the daughter is very much the classic hippie like she's the political rebel and the mom is very like leave it to beaver cookie cutter Mm -hmm. and they uh, the the, through the six seasons they affect each other right Mm -hmm. she becomes to she learns to value stability and family and she the mother actually learns to value like freedom and 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 work and work and yeah different you know things so it's like there's just these very like what you're saying, Nick, these very beautiful like relationships, but they're tested too. Yeah. like watching the parents fight in that episode mm-hmm. is one of the most realistic like couples fighting I've ever seen. It's not over the top. It's just like it's harsh, but it's grounded. And then the fact that like they go to bed angry the next day, like the awkwardness of everybody just watching how it's going to be handled. And right. Like yeah, that whole one other thing that stuck out was when they do have these arguments, a lot of the times they just get up and leave the table. Like like something happens and then there's like a break in everything and no one is like fighting to like prove a point or change. It's like the way they handle conflict was really fascinating and, yeah. and good to me. Um, and even the daughter gets to fully be herself and the dad, like they talk and the dad's like, you know, what are you talking about? But, but like, they're all at the table together and they all have like some kind of understanding towards each other. There's a lot of unity in that family that is the thing that stuck out most to me. Well, and that you get the, 
the fourth episode in the first season where she brings that boyfriend home. Yeah. And, you know, he's very much of that hippie, like, frit mindset as well. And one of my all-time favorite moments is the scene where the dad and the boyfriend are arguing mm-hmm. about whether sending soldiers, men to Vietnam is worth it or not. And that argument, like the tension in there where, cause you're listening and they're both not wrong, yeah. but they, you also complete, like he fought in Korea and he has this pride for his country and he knows like he's went to Korea. He's seen like the destructiveness that socialism, right. That that yeah. can bring. But then you also have this young man who was Brian's friend sitting there and going like, Brian's not coming back. Yeah. How many more people are you willing to die for this? And you're just listening to them argue so passionately. And the daughter, like, obviously she takes the boyfriend's side, right? And I love how, like, the way the episode resolves, it's like, it's not that, because usually it would take a side. Yeah. Usually, especially if this if this show, it's actually funny because there is a reboot of yeah, this. I don't that think there's ever today. a side taken. But that's the thing is like this would so be so heavy handed if it was done today, and yeah. there would clearly be a winner. But I love that they showed that the dad he didn't understand. But then you also show that the boy, like the, the young man, that some of his worldview, like the free love thing, like when Karen finds yeah. out that she, yeah. he has other women that he sleeps with and, you know, because of this whole free love perspective. Right. And you kind of see like the limitations of each of their philosophies yeah. and it, and, and then it just ends. There's no resolution. Yeah. You just sit in this tension of, well, who was right? Who was wrong? Everybody's upset in the other room, siloed off. And then it cuts to black and that's, and then yeah. I'm just like this but that's show. awesome though. Yeah, like, like nothing gets resolved fast. Everyone yeah. has space to to come to conclusions themselves. And that argument comes out is going to come again late. Like it's, yeah. it doesn't go away. Wait. It may not be in the next episode, but this will continue to fester yeah. until finally there's some resolution that comes years down the line. Yeah, because isn't there a moment between the dad and Wayne when the Wayne when Wayne wants to join the military? Yes. And it's like he almost brings up the arguments from the first season. Yes. The, uh, the bring, one, from the dinner conversation. From the dinner conversation. Like he's had years to think about this and now his own son wants to go into the military and suddenly it's like different, his perspective. Because Wayne is sitting at the table not saying anything. He's just helping himself to more mashed potatoes. Yeah, he's just <laughs> he's like he's not thinking about yeah. it. But then there's that episode later Later on where you see he took what his dad said to heart wow. and is now going to go join the military and his dad's like I no no like yeah. I was wrong like and you're like dealing with that conversation four seasons later mm-hmm. I'm like that's how good the right yeah, yeah. yeah. well and it shows how the dad grows right yeah. and there's nothing in this show there's no action that doesn't have consequences later because mm-hmm. Twilight Zone is the best for like and anthology writing where every episode self-contained. But a continuous story. This is the best yeah. continuous story I've ever That's seen good. on Which TV. Which honestly makes where- it hard too because you need to devote so much time time it's to actually watching it whereas like a movie one and done like yeah. bam we're over where this one i think it took us how many years to like oh, get it, through this well we got through this in months we flew through this <laughs> yeah. show like, well that's the problem though because then it's like oh we gotta watch one more oh we gotta watch one more and then you go down that hole of like ugh, we've watched too many and i feel miserable like i don't know <laughs> that's why tv is hard when it's like one continuous story because you want to get to the end mm-hmm. and it's hard to like soak it in well, yeah, Each and episode. I, 
just writing wise, everything is on point. Even all the, the reason why they want to use all these licensed songs is because every song is telling, is is tying into the theme of that episode. It's like Guardians. Yes, it is like Guardians where every time a song plays, you have to listen and go, why is this song playing right now? And the song is actually complementing the story in another way. Mm-hmm. And, and and so it's like this slice of life. seems like it's going to make me cry a lot. I cry. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I cry yeah, a it's lot. Very, very, Have yeah, you it's cried? Um, no. <laughs> Nick, can you text us if you cry, please? No. <laughs> we need a new The breaking update. point. Yeah. <laughs> the dad is really emotional for me when I see the dad. And yeah. when I see just the family all together yeah not asking anything from each other really yeah and they're all going through life together well because in the first few seasons they do a lot of flashbacks where they'll show like old video footage of how the family used to be and then they'll show how it is now that would would get me that would get me and so you see that there's these moments where it's like dang wayne used to be nice Mm. dang the dad like had time to play catch like all these things of just like mm. and then it's just now where everybody's like grinding through life and it's just hard yeah. and that, just, that you is see a season that. of life of just that that grind but not to stay in that you know it has to be a season because if it's that you're just yeah. full time there's no Can't growth survive. yeah yeah that's slice of life, though. All of these, these are great picks. All of these have been amazing picks for slice of life. Is the Fresh Prince reasons. of Bel Air? Oh, hundred percent, yeah. slice of life. Yeah, some, Fresh some. Prince. The episode where his dad comes, comes back. back. Oh, that makes me cry every time. Or even that. The, even there's the final two moments season. that make me cry in Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm-hmm. The one where the, he's giving that speech to Uncle Phil yep. about his dad, mm-hmm. and then the moment in Bullets Over Bel Air yep. where he's in the hospital and Carlton's gonna go kill the guy, money, yeah. and he's sitting there and he's going like, "Don't you think like and, I want to go shoot somebody? Don't you think this would be easier for yeah, yeah?" Even the final episode with him just standing like in the room, in like, the living room. Alone. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's a meme, but it's still like, dang, man. Like, I love that's a great show. Yeah, that's a great slice of life. <laughs> he just wanted to upset the mic. No, no, yeah, there's so many good I'm ones not, we could talk about yeah. here. Um, Joe and I actually made a slice of life parody of The Office. Oh, sure did. It's out there on YouTube, but yeah. you can't find it with our work. Some it's people out there are a little embarrassed of that one, yeah. <laughs> I actually think we did a pretty good job. I was more, I was more sad that I wasn't in it. I had to record it, so you know, I I was the cameraman, but I would have loved to have been in it. Yeah, Tori had to step out. Um, That's why you haven't heard from her in a little bit. She's stepped out with the kids. Um, Slice of life. That's slice of life, right? Slice and dice. Um, Slice and dice. Um, I mean, Tori, I mean, we seriously got to give Tori a round of applause for everything. Cause like, not only does she take care of the kids, but she makes us food after this. And we're going to have, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner after this. Yeah. She a whole, oh, wait, she a whole doctor. Oh, no way. Yeah. We've got like, Tori's oh. going to make like turkey tacos. We're going to do stuffing. We're going to do mashed oh, potato. Yes. We've got it all. We're going to, we're going to have a feast. Let's go. So, um, yeah, she's amazing though. Yeah, it's bittersweet. It's our last time recording here in the house before we transition to a studio next season. Let's um, go next season. Of next season. Next season. This like is next our season. this is our ending here, right? So thank you everyone for joining us for these genre episodes. So everybody, does everyone have you have like a, a genre that over the past year you've grown more appreciation for, or maybe like a favorite genre? 
before um, just from this time before that though since we're talking about ending seasons and oh things yeah like that um Please okay, go ahead and subscribe yes, to my yes. YouTube page because we are ending the the we are nearing the end of my series Woo! finale. So it's this one, and we got one more after that, and that's the end of the series. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I almost forgot my YouTube name. Jolie, Jolie Stark twenty five. <laughs> yes. It'll be in the show notes as well. Um, yes, no, thank you for bringing that up. Check out Joe's stop motion films; they are amazing. We're all in them at different points. But Joe yeah. is a great storyteller. And Jason thinks he's going to die. <laughs> Jason knows he's going to die. He yeah. sent pictures as a Sorry, preview. He's like, oh, how, look how fun. Look it's going to be the last one. My character's on the ground. <laughs> Who knows? Jason, I may die. Jeez. Nick may die. Derek may but die. We you all never know. <laughs> but, but is there a particular genre that's been really meaningful to you um, or that you've grown appreciation of or that maybe has become your favorite through this series? I think horror only because of the how we were talking about it, like more specifically how Jason and, and Nick were talking about it, that horror should be something that is a warning yeah. or um, telling you a tale of what happens if you do dive like into something like that. So just that perspective of it, yeah. it's like, oh, wow, that's actually... <laughs> You know, cool. Yeah. How about you, Jason? I will agree that the horror episode kept me from completely throwing the genre away. Uh-huh. Um, because that's where I was leaning to based on its previous effect in my life. I really do enjoy the Slice of Life episode and how it kind of ties a lot of things together. Because yeah. it is literally just a raw story of life and yeah. how we live it. And I just thought that was really cool to see that from a bunch of different perspectives today from the lowest points to like the highest fantastical points but there's a, a grounding realism in all of these movies yeah even though they're basically you know all different colors of it all different ways life can go it's the mundane and it's the uh more realistic stuff that grounds it even if it's fine yeah. or even if it's super depressing yeah how about you nick um, not through the podcast, but actually, uh, I watched a lot of more romances this year. Mm. So, um, like, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Um, Before Sunrise, When Harry Met Sally. Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. Mm. There was another one, but and there might be a couple more. But Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks was the one I was thinking of, yeah. yeah. So, I think definitely romance was um, something new this year that I was highlighting. Yeah. Um, and then I do like Slice of Life. I think you said sci-fi was your favorite. I think sci-fi and Slice of Life combined. Me are too. My favorite. Yes. And then you said Slice of Li Tori says Slice of Life Bluey. Yeah. Yes, that's Slice of Life. Yeah. Uh, it's hardcore. That's a mother's answer. Yeah. <laughs> sci-fi deals with humanity. Well, so that, this, this is the interesting thing, right? This is why I think I agree with you because I think this is my favorite genre too. Because sci-fi and slice of life are both almost like a flip of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Sci-fi slice of life uses mundane to explore what it means to be human and the human experience, while sci-fi uses um, while still being grounded in the real world, but it's using additional things on almost a fantastical level in a way yeah, to explore the human experience yeah, it's penetrating the human experience yeah you know? but like because like like ruby sparks eternal sunshine those are movies that are like the romance slice of life with that sci-fi edge to it mm -hmm. you know those are my favorite movies mm -hmm. i think is that kind of thing 
So I think that's what I've realized through this series is what I gravitate towards most. I did gain a huge appreciation for the Western in a way that yeah. mm-hmm. I, oh, I haven't had before. I completely um, forgot about that. I would even but say fantasy. Fantasy would be my runner-up too. For your favorite? or Yeah, for favorite. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd i go with Westerns because I even remember well, myself saying that like, ah, this is my dad's stuff. I don't care. And then yeah. I'm watching I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, never mind. I'm yeah, I think we were all there. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys – the good news is that next year you're going to get a lot more of these guys. You're going to get more Joe, more Nick, more Jason. Sorry. Because right. not, not they sorry. are coming <laughs> on the podcast full time. Let's go. Outer. So they will be on every episode moving forward. And there's going to be a lot of changes coming in terms of the format. Even the name <clears throat> is changing. And so just be on the lookout in our, actually, we're going to do one final episode that's going to come out a couple weeks after this. That'll kind of summarize all the different genres. And then that's basically going to be it. We are going to change the name, the format. And, um, should we say the name now or let's let them find yeah, out. Let's all right. Let, we'll let them find let out. Them you also listen it. to the next episode to hear the name change here, to but it's, it's to be continued, but it is going to be, Amazing having these guys on full-time. The podcast is going to take it up to the next level. And so we hope you'll join us for that. But in the meantime, I hope that in whatever slice of life you find yourself in, that you are living a meaningful story. And that's where we're going to end it. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Check out allthingsnarrative.com. And until next time. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? Au revoir. No dang on dang. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, I can't wait for season two. <laughs> <laughs>